0: Hi, uh, my name is Chris Hilkin. I'm from the beautiful town of Bonzo, California, over by Escondido. Yeah. And um, I really, I, I love this, <laughs> I love this concept. Uh, when, I, when I wrote that video, I've never seen it. I've only, I wrote the lyrics, but I've never seen the video. I'm like emotionally moved right now. It's, a, it's an important question, right? And, and, and there's two commitments I kind of want to make to you guys as we jump into this. Um of y'all have pet peeves? Like just something that bugs the snot out of you. You know what I mean? Okay, so good. Um my I have five kids. It's a lot. <laughs> Relax, okay. Judgmental junior higher. Um, that is he. That's too many. That is just too many. Um, here's one of my pet peeves. One of my pet peeves is my kids have this horrible habit in the middle of the night where they... Oh, here comes my daughter. Hi, baby. Sweet. This is so unprofessional. That's my sister. She's wrangling them up right now. Anyway, um, sometimes, like, when you, when you have kids, I'm going to tell you this because no one told me. When kids get out of bed in the middle of the night, They don't announce themselves. They're not normal. You know what I mean? Like my kids are the loudest, most obnoxious thing for 20 hours a day. And then they go to sleep. And then when they wake up in the middle of the night, they become like astute ninja assassins. And like the scariest thing to me in my life before I had kids was like creepy clowns or, you know, like drowning, weird junk like that. Now that I've had kids, the scariest thing in my existence is my kids in the middle of the night. Because they get up, and they walk to your room, and then, like, they'll be scared. In the of, but instead of, like, walking in the room and going, excuse me, Father, I see that you're sleeping. They, they, instead, they get as close as they can to your face, and then they, like, breathe into your nostrils, you know? And then the funny thing is, like, when I wake up, I'll, I'll wake up, and I'll, and like, I, sometimes I'll just hit him. Because it's just terrifying, you know what I mean? Like, and you hit him. And, and it's like a pet, and I've had to, I've tried to sit down conversation, I've tried to tell them, like, guys, announce yourselves, like, put a bell around your neck, like, ring something, do something, call my phone, just don't creep into my room at night, it's like, it's a pet peeve of mine, and, and I'll tell you, growing up when I was your age, I had another pet peeve, and it was, if I ever went to camp, um, and I lived in Oklahoma, back in the Midwest, but I would go to, like, these camps, and, or maybe it's, like, a teacher you have, or maybe whatever a school you go to, I don't know. But go with me on this one. I hated being a junior hire and people talking to me like I couldn't process or understand hard truth. I, I like, as a junior hire, I just fundamentally hated when people talked to me like I was a baby, you know? And, and so here's a commitment I want to make to you as we start off this week together. I'm going to make two. I'm make two commitments to you, and I'm asking you to make two commitments to me, okay? Here's my first commitment to you. The Bible... This Bible is it's I mean, if, if you had to give it a rating, like if you if you just made a movie of every chapter of the Bible and you didn't censor it, it would be rated like X. It would it would be completely inappropriate for what we would perceive the majority of kids to to watch. We you wouldn't be able to. I mean, this is full of like murder and adultery and there's moments of genocide and pain and uh, plagues and darkness and death. At one point, the earth opens up and swallows thousands of people. In the book of Kings, is it? A bear comes out of the woods and mauls 42 kids. Like there's just, it's just nuts. Like you, you wouldn't be able to sell this like in bookstores and you, you might like watch Veggie Tales or those other shows. They, whoa, yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, all right. My, <laughs> if you're not like a church kid, that was weird for you, right? <laughs> like screamed about vegetables. Welcome to church. Um, But, but like VeggieTales never made one on like 42 bears coming out of the woods and mauling, or what bear coming out of the woods and mauling 42 kids. Like it's just not, it doesn't make the VeggieTales cut, you know what I mean? And so, Here's a commitment I want to make to you guys. My commitment I want to make to you is this. There's going to be a few times this week where I ask you to make um, an adult decision. I'm going to ask you to orient your life in a direction, okay? Legitimately, I'm going to ask you throughout this week to contemplate and to think about some of the most ridiculous, difficult, hard, challenging things that humans could ever think about in process. Like... We, we, we can sometimes become numb to these things, right? We drown ourselves in, like, social media and crap like that. But, but we'd never stop and go, like, hold on, why am I here? Like, what's my purpose? What am I doing? How come all these people talk about God all the time? Do I believe that? Do I not believe that? And, and here's my, my commitment to you. I am not going to talk to you like children, okay? I'm going to present this book to you like adults. I'm going to talk to you like I think you deserve to be talked to. I'm going to give you all the information, I'm not going to hold back, I'm going to offend you, this book is offensive, but I want you to have the full understanding of what it's trying to say about you, and God, and Jesus, and life, and one day, I'm going to see Jesus face to face, and when I do, he's going to say, what did you do with the Bible, what did you do when you were called to teach this to this group of junior hires this week, and by golly, I'm not going to stand in front of him and go, I sugarcoated it. I dumbed it down. I, I tried to make it palatable. I tried to make it easier, and I didn't tell him the hard truth of the gospel. My commitment to you is I'm going to talk to you like adults, okay? My second commitment is I want to ground everything that I say in this book. I don't want you to know my opinions. I want you to know what Jesus thinks about you. And here's my commitments I want you to make to me. Number one, lean into the conversations we're going to have okay? It's super easy, right? You got a lot of junk going on in your brain right now. You're here, you're on a bus, you're all antsy, you're all hyped up on Mountain Dew. You have all this stuff going on in your brain. And I'm asking you to respond and to respect to the fact that I am going to talk to you like adults by responding to me by listening like adults, by leaning into the conversation and writing down questions that you have and wrestling with these truths And the second thing I'm going to ask you to do is as you do have pushback and you do have questions, I want you to seek the scriptures to answer them. Because here's what a lot of you do. Here's what you're going to do to me. You're going to walk up to me. I'm going to be hanging out with my kids. They're going to be like clawing my leg. And I'm going to be trying to like wrangle them. And you're going to go, excuse me, Chris. And I'm going to go, hello, friend. And you're going to go, I have, I just, I got something to say. And I'm going to go, I can't wait. And you're going to go, I hear I just don't think that God would ever, and here's my response to you, in the kindest, most loving, deepest, gentle, godly way that I possibly can, I'm going to stop you and I'm going to go, listen, friend, I don't care what you think about God. I just don't. And here's why. Friend, listen to me. It's not because I'm callous. It's not because I'm rude. It's not because I'm unfeeling. It's not because I was born like the tin man with no heart. The reason I don't care about what you think about God is that God wrote a book about what he's like. So you'll have to excuse me if I don't take your opinion as truth on what God, he wrote a fat book. And he said, this is who I am. So if you walk up to me and go, well, I think God is, I'm going to go, is what you're saying found in here? And if not, then it's not true. Because let's just do a little cultural narrative right now. And here's the disadvantage you have as a junior hire. The disadvantage you have is we are part of the first generation ever that we believe that things are true based on how strongly we believe them, not on whether or not they're factual and real. Your culture has taught you this. Listen, this is a cultural, this is what you need to understand about your culture. The reason that you need to hear this is because a lot of us swim in it so much every day, we don't even realize it's part of the way that we think. Your culture has taught you that if someone passionately walks up to you and they go, there's someone that's your age, but they go, I'm 45. And you look at them and they're a junior higher and you go, you're not 45, you're 12. And they go, no, I'm 45. And if they start to get passionate and bombastic and they start flailing and wailing and they start crying and really feeling it, you know what our culture has done? We go, okay, you're 45. But there's a truth What is truth? Truth is what is grounded in reality. There is a truth. There is a reality to our world. That person isn't 45 years old. We have a way of seeing it. We have a truth scale that we have. The earth revolves around the sun in 365 day periods. We know how old people are based on how many times they've been on earth while it's rotated around the sun. You're not 45. You're 12. How do we know that? Because there's an absolute truth of age and it is based in the reality of how many times you have circled around the sun in your life. All truth, real truth, is based in reality. When it comes to God, the way that a lot of us approach God is we all go, we read the passage of Scripture, and we go, what do you think this means? What do you think about God? What do you think about God? What do you think about God? We never really dive into the text, and we never really ask the book, tell me who God actually is, and that's what we're going to do. Because I'm going to ask you time and time again this week to make adult decisions based on this. I don't want want you to have my opinion on God. I don't want you to have your friend's opinion on God. I want you to have God's opinion on God. And guess what? He gives it to us in this book. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to start by turning to the book of John. John is towards the back of your Bible. There's four different people, four different men named Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. These four people saw Jesus live his life, or they were first-hand eyewitnesses to someone who did watch Jesus live his life. And they write four biographies of Jesus. We call them the Gospels. So these four guys watch Jesus, and then they write about what he was like. So we have four different pictures of the life of Jesus. I want you to turn to a book called John. If you get to the guys' names, it starts with Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. If you are sitting next to a nerdy Christian and they find it fast... Take their Bible, give them yours, and say, find it again, nerd, and then they're going to find it again. It's going to be great. Yeah. Yeah. If you're the kid who's always like, I'm the first one there. Congratulations, friend. Help your neighbor. Here we go. (laughs) Thanks, nerd. Here we go. Here's what John says. and I want you to picture this I want you to picture the hearing of this in context, right? We're in America, West Coast, Southern California, 2022. But when this book was originally read, okay? So this is John's gospel. When this was originally read, it was written to a group of people who they all, they've all they all heard the story of Jesus. Like, Jesus is a historical figure. In the year zero, he was born. In the year 33 AD, he was crucified, right? Like, when, when we ask the question, what year is it? The year is 2022, but what, it, what do we mean the year is 2022? It means 2022 years ago, a guy named Jesus was born. Our whole calendar system is based on this guy's story. And when he died, he disrupted everything on planet Earth because he came back from the dead. And that's what started everything in motion. That's why you're sitting here today. It's because 2022 years ago, a Jewish carpenter... Probably five foot five, not attractive, the book of Isaiah tells us, named Jesus, walked, talked, lived perfectly, died, and then was seen again, and it has upset all of culture. Here's what John writes John is hoping that these people who have seen what Jesus did, he's trying to explain to them, here's what you just witnessed. You guys saw this Jesus character and he freaked you out, didn't he? So John goes, I was there, friend. I was there, bro. I saw it firsthand. Here is the story of Jesus. And John does the same thing in the gospel that I'm going to ask you to do. He presents a court case of who Jesus is. He looks at his audience and he says, I want to give you a complete picture of Jesus, and then I want you to respond to it. Because the truth about God, the culture wants to make it complicated. It's not complicated. Here we go. It says this, John chapter 1. Help me out. What are the first three words of John chapter 1? In the beginning. Oh, interesting. Where else do we hear that phrase found in scripture? Yeah, Genesis. 10 points for Gryffindor. We see it in the book of Genesis. That's the beginning of the Bible. So here's what John says. John's looking at his audience, and he he kind of calls them to lean in close. So I'm going to sit down and pretend that we're in a first century. We're in an underground church. When John is writing this, a man named Diocletian and other uh, emperors of Rome have declared that all Christians should be killed. So as they're reading this, you have to remember this. Nero has set up his circus to murder Christians. He had, they have set up a whole system by which Christians are being hung, drawn, and quartered. They're being, they're, their limbs are being attached to four different horses going four different directions, and then they're ripping people apart. People like Isaiah the prophet is being sawn in half upside down. These are people who followed Jesus. There are 12 men who followed Jesus that were called his disciples. At this point in the story, every single one of them has been martyred except for Jesus or except for John who's writing. What does martyrdom mean? It means they were killed for believing the truth about Jesus. You see, this is a dangerous text. So John approaches us. And picture like we're in the underground church right now, and John, they finally get the doors closed, and the Roman soldiers are outside, and everyone knows at any moment, they could break in, and they could take all of us down for believing about this story. And John says, I've got something I want to tell you. I want to tell you the story of Jesus. And he begins by saying this, in the beginning, a group of Jews who knew the scriptures well would go, bro, we've already heard this story. This isn't a new story. This is the story of the creation of the world. This goes back to Genesis. We want to hear the story of Jesus. And John goes, shut your traps. Jeez, I want to show you something. In the beginning, calm down, Brenda. In the beginning was the word, John says. So John starts talking to them and he says, when God created the heavens and the earth, he spoke out this word and he created the heavens and the earth. And we knew God as this distant creator God, this holy, almighty God who was set apart from mankind because of the sinful nature of people. But here's what happened. When Jesus came, the in the beginning God, the great creator God, put on flesh and walked into our world. That in the beginning God became, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. This is talking about Jesus. Jesus. He was with God in the beginning. So Jesus wasn't, when he was born in Bethlehem, right, we'd sing the songs. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her King. Right? Listen. That is not when Jesus started to exist. Jesus started to exist when? Never. He's always been alive. He's never not existed. He is the eternal God alongside the creator. So John starts by saying, we all thought that he was just this distant, but he wasn't. You see, there's God the creator, God the father, but then there's also this God the son. He's the second part of the trinity. And when he saw the world in ruins, that in the beginning God He was with God in the beginning, and through Jesus all things were made, and without him nothing has been made. In him was life, and the life was the light of all mankind. That light then shined in the darkness. What is the darkness? It's our sin. It was our world. Our world was broken and messed up. It was screwed up, and we had no hope, distant from God, and then it says Jesus, like a light from heaven, comes into our darkness, and what did the darkness do to it? The darkness didn't understand it. Jesus came into our world with us, and what did we do to him? We murdered him. We hated him. Because he talked about living differently than we wanted to live. And here's what it says. Uh, Go down to verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, we didn't even recognize him. The artist, the great painter of mankind who painted you and painted me and made us up and created us and made everything, then stepped into his painting. And the people in the painting went, who's this guy? Where's this guy from? Let's get rid of him. That didn't go well. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Here's this crazy phrase right here. The word became flesh, and he dwelt among, among us. Okay? Not, not the video game. <laughs> sus. You're all sus. You're all sus. So the Bible comes along, and here's what it says. The Bible comes along and states this. John, with his audience leaning in, says, in the beginning, and they hearken back to the beginning of the world. And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That God that was there, he put on flesh. He did not have form. He did not have a physical body. But then he saw us in our brokenness, and he knew the solution was that he was going to have to put on skin. That's what the word incarnation means. It means to put on carne, which means meat. So it's like the God of the universe put on a meat suit and became human, and we called him Jesus, because he was going to save his people from their sins. Here's what I want to, I want to, I, I know we don't have a lot of time tonight, so for the last few minutes, here's what I want to do. I want to present to you this idea. We saw it in the, in the opener. In the beginning, that should all point us back to the creation of the world. And in the beginning, here's what happened. I'm going to read it for you really quick, and this is what we're going to end with. And, and as we do, I want to ask you guys a question, and I wanted to kind of, Ruminate in your heart, okay? I want you to think about this as, you're, as you kind of walk out of here. In the beginning, John wants us to think back to beginning things. What happened when the world was made? What happened when Adam and Eve fell? You see, God created man and woman, called them Adam and Eve, and put him in his perfect garden to be with him forever. And just like you and I, in their sin, they rebelled against God. You see, the serpent was more crafty and more clever, it says in the scriptures, than any of the animals of the garden. And he wanted mankind to fall away from God. So he walked up to Eve and he goes, did God really say, do do you think maybe God's holding out on you? Satan presented Adam and Eve with the same two lies that you're being presented with today. Is God really good? Is sin really bad? The two questions of the garden. Here's what I want to leave you with. Am I okay walking through this aisle? It's not going to feed back? No, I was talking to my people in the back, but yeah, okay. Listen, we're going to end with a role play, okay? Here's what I want you to do. Okay. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to think. Here's what the text says about Satan. Satan is more crafty and more clever than any animal in the garden. When the, when, when the Bible calls someone more crafty and more clever, he's sneaky. He is is the definition of sus, okay? He's like, but sometimes, sometimes when we think about Satan, when we think about the enemy of God, when we think about sin, we think about Satan, when we picture Satan in our minds, oftentimes we have this caricature of him, right? That's like cartoon version of Satan, and when we think about Satan is we think that Satan is going to show up like in a red suit with like a big tail that's got a thorn on the end of it. And he's got like this pitchfork and he's got horns. And that when Satan shows up in our life, he's going to be like, hi, I'm here to get you all to do cocaine, right? Like I'm Satan, right? That's like, but the Bible conversely says, like if Satan showed up at my house, and he was like, burn down the neighborhood. I'd be like, no, you're an idiot. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to. When Satan tempts, when, when, when Satan's clever, when, when, when sin and, and, and all that creeps at my door, it's not for that. You see, Satan's clever. And in Satan's cleverness, in Satan's brilliance, he looks at Adam and Eve who have everything except they lack one thing. They are not God. So what does Satan plant in their head? You know, what if y'all were gods? I'm just saying. But our life is perfect. I know it's perfect. You're a perfect human. What, no, I shouldn't say it. No, I'm going to, what if you could be gods? Maybe I've said too much, right? And Adam and Eve are like, hold on, yeah, like, no, he never said. Eve, how come? He never said we could become gods. That would be better than this, right? We, we could make our own worlds. We could make our own gardens. We could make our own people, and, and they would worship us. Like you're, What if God's holding out on us, and Satan's like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. There's only one way to find out. There's one way to find out, and I'm not saying you should. I'm not saying you should. He's crafty. He's clever. He didn't walk up to him with an apple and was like, eat it or die, right? He walked up to him, and he said, eat it and live. If you eat it, you're going to finally experience, why do you think God said don't eat of that tree? You, you might, Adam, you might think it's because you're going to surely die, but let me throw something at you. What if because that fruit on that tree is magical and it's going to instantly turn you into divine beings and God doesn't want competition. He wants to be the only God, right? There is no one but God. There's only one. Maybe he's afraid of you, but I don't know. I guess there's only one way to find out he's crafty and he's clever and so what does Satan do with our culture Jesus presents himself to us in a few different ways here's what I want to finish with if you were Satan this is a big role play if you were Satan and you were crafty how would you trick you don't say it out loud I want to just ruminate this in your hearts okay don't discuss with your friend go with me on this I'm trying to close up so you guys can go and party like a rock star listen so so walk with me and let me finish. Listen, if you were Satan in modern day America and your job was you wanted to deceive people to walk away from Jesus, to not find this whole faith thing important, to not take the Bible seriously, what would be, what would be your recommended course of action? What would you try to take down? What would you try to confuse? If it were me, I would take everything that Jesus tells us that he's like or that he is and try to muddy that picture entirely. Let me give you a picture of that. In the scriptures, Jesus says that he is like a father to the fatherless. So if I'm Satan and I go, okay, the Bible tells junior hires that God is a father to the fatherless. What do you think I would attack if I was Satan? You think I would attack fatherhood? Fatherhood? Do you think that fatherhood is on attack in our nation? From absentee fathers to neglectful fathers to abusive fathers to fathers with addictions to fathers that aren't present to fathers that divorce to fathers that walk away, there are people sitting in this room right now who the concept of God as father is so foreign to you because your concept of a good, good father, a loving father, a giving father, a sacrificial father is so remarkably distant that when we sing songs like You're a Good, Good Father, you're forced to reckon how in the world I don't want a God like that. I don't want a God like a father. So Satan is so crafty, he will attack the very things the Bible uses as analogies to understand God better. If God calls himself a father, you better believe that the great serpent himself will attack fatherhood. In scripture, Jesus says, when I come, it'll be like a bridegroom coming for their bride on their wedding day. The book of Ephesians chapter 5 makes it very clear that the union of God and mankind is that God, like a sacrificial and giving husband, gives himself for his bride. He loves us like Christ loved the church and laid himself down for her to present her as holy and blameless without any imperfections. So, if I were Satan, what do you think I would attack? Marriages. The very institution of marriage. Our culture right now sits at a divorce rate just above 50%. And guess what? That divorce rate's going down. Good news? No. Here's why it's going down. People aren't even bothering with getting married anymore. They're so hopeless on the idea that people are like, let's just cohabitate. Let's not even go through the process of marriage anymore. Satan has come for marriages. Why is this important? It's important because it ties into our theme. In John 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. So if I'm Satan, and Jesus says, there is one truth, I am the truth. In in the book of John, Jesus is before Pontius Pilate, and he asks him, what is truth? When Jesus talks about truth, he doesn't point other people. He doesn't say, that guy over there is true. Other people did, right? When Buddha was here, he's like, I have some mystical truth for you. Nietzsche said, there is no such thing as truth. Freud, Freud, Truth all comes from whatever is universal around you. Jesus doesn't balk. He points at himself and he says, I am truth. I'm truth. I'm not going to tell you what's true. I'm not going to point you to some other dude that knows truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so if I'm the crafty serpent and I want nothing more than for you to not know Jesus, what do you think I'm going to chase? truth. I want you to think that truth is confusing. I want you to think that truth is multifaceted. I want you to think that truth is too complex for your little minds to understand. I want you to think that there's no such thing as truth. I want you to think that everything is true. I want you to think that no one knows truth. I want you to think that truth is intolerant. I want you to think that if you claim that there's only one truth that you're a bigot. This is what I want you to think about truth. you want to know why? Because Jesus is the truth. I want you to be confused. That is my aim if I'm Satan, I hate you're having this conversation right now because the, the, the aim that Hume Like has in this theme is to tear down the facade that Satan has created that there's no such thing as truth or that you're not capable of knowing it. Those lies will be ripped down so strongly through the text this week that you don't have to wrestle with this question anymore doesn't mean you're going to follow Jesus, but you are going to be presented with an option. You're going to be presented with the truth of who Jesus is, and then as adults, you're going to reject it, or you can accept it. But you will not walk away from this week saying, I don't know what the truth is. That's why I'm passionate about this subject. That's why I love the privilege of getting to teach this to you. I want you to walk away with this thought. It's the one that we ended the video with. Twofold. The first question and the last question of the video. When you think about God, what comes to mind? You can write these questions down. I want you to discuss them in your cabin time. When you hear the word God, what kind of baggage do you carry with that? When you just think about God, do you feel good? Do you feel bad? Do you feel weird? Do you feel distant? Does it feel complicated? Does it feel convoluted? Does it feel comforting? Does it feel uncomfortable? Does it, I don't know. When someone wants to have a God conversation with you, what 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 part of your mind is triggered? Do you go, oh no? Do you go, oh yeah? Oh please stop! Oh you keep going. What happens when someone wants to talk to you about God? And then here's the second question, and and I I really do think it's more important. The Bible says that God knit you together in your mother's womb; that He knows every hair in your head; that He knows you by name. Don't wait. Some of us time when we think about God, we think that God loves us. You know, God loves y'all. Y'all, big mass of people. That when God looks at the world, He's like, "I love all these people." Right? That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says God loves you. What's your name? Grace. God loves Grace. What's your last name? What? Askagreen. God loves Grace Askagreen. And God knew that your name was gonna be Grace Grace Askagreen before the foundation of the world was created. God knows you and that He loves you. What's your name? Hannah. What's your last name? Sape. God already knew your last name. He knows you and he loves you. Did you know, Hannah, that you come to God, the God of the universe, his mind? Is that not a, a trip and a half? God doesn't just think about us as a whole mass of human beings. The name Chris Hilkin is on God's mind. When he, when he thinks of me, when he thinks, of, what does he think about? Am I a son? Am I an enemy? Because guess what? Those are the only two options. There's not a third direction. I'm going to decomplicate the truth for you. We all sit right now as either sons and daughters of God or as enemies apart from God. This is the truth of the Bible. I want you to answer both those questions tonight. I told you I'm not going to sugarcoat this junk. I'm going to talk to you like adults because I want you to have an adult response. And something else you should know, I love you deeply. Deeply. If I didn't love you, I'd be up here and be like, so who wants to talk about the Lego movie? (laughs) That for me would be the meanest thing I could do to you. And because of my deep love for you, I'm jazzed about the opportunity to teach you the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ that begins like this. There is a God. That God is the truth. And that truth is knowable to you. It's not complicated, it's not complex, it's a simple gospel. What do you think when you think about God, and what does God think when he thinks about you? Would you pray with me? God, would you, uh, for a lot of us in here, our souls have been sleeping for a while. They've, They've just kind of been in this state of... Uh, stagnation. We, we, we don't really think on spiritual things. We've been so caught up in the, in the mundane world that we live in. We've been so caught up in the white noise of social media and life and school and everything we're trying to pursue that we never stop and ask the bigger question of life. Why am I here? Who are you? Who am I? Am I living life the way that I intended it? What is God? What is soul? What is self? Who am I? Who are you? And do you mean anything to me? And do I mean anything to you and God would you just still our hearts this week and would you would you turn our hearts to focus on you and to ask these questions to have so much fun and such great relationship building with our friends and so such a great experience here at Hume Lake but would it all will we realize that it's all for naught if we don't ask those bigger questions if you don't show up there's no reason for this camp to exist Would you give us the brave courage to ask these deep questions that our society refuses to stop and acknowledge? God, what do you think about when you think about me? So the name we pray. Amen.